Welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, as always, Shane Lamaster. Um, first, I want to start off by apologizing to the audience. Uh, you will start to notice that um, my intro music to um, these podcasts is not the same as it used to be in the beginning. Um, turns out the app was updated and that intro was dropped. So I'll be playing around with different sounds and different songs um, to see how we can enhance the podcast even more for our listening audience. So just a little heads up on that and future podcasts. And um, as always, please remember that our message gets out with your help. So please like and share our podcast. Um, That's how we get the word out. Uh, I try and put this information out um, to the public, and it's up to you guys to spread the message. So please do so. Um, You can also donate to the podcast. I have that option on, I believe it's the Anchor website or the Anchor app. When you click on the podcast, uh, there should be an option to donate to the podcast. All donations go to upgrading our systems, upgrading our microphones, uh, just trying to make the quality of the podcast better for you all. Um, I don't make any money off of this, so um, it all goes back to the listening audience uh, to improve the quality. So uh, please do that if you feel inclined. Um, As always, we're sponsored by my private practice counseling company, MindOps. You can find us at mindops.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. We're a full-service counseling and consulting company. Um, We specialize in addictions counseling, general psychotherapy, so we we cover the broad range of mental health issues, Um, psychedelic integration therapies, and sport and performance psychology. Um, Those are some of our specialties. So if you have any need for mental health um, or performance enhancement through mental training, uh, or you just want to learn how to start up a meditation and mindfulness practice, Uh, Just reach out to us on our website, that's mindops.com, and leave us a comment. Also, any comments that you have for myself or my guests, you can always leave on our website as well. Um, So, as always, I want to start the podcast off with a good news story. And as always, um, just so that everybody's aware, I get most of my good news from the Good News Network. Uh, It's goodnewsnetwork.org. So today's good news story um, is kind of cool, and you'll see how it links up with, with our guest today. But the title of, um, title of the story says, Uber driver stumbles into gift of new hands for his 11-year-old daughter after picking up an engineering student. So what happened was um, this gentleman became an uh, Uber driver and um, was struggling in bringing up um, an, an adopted daughter that he had. And she was born with a rare condition um, where she was born with only one finger on each hand. So it says in the article, the the condition caused her lots of embarrassment and insecurity. And um, this Uber driver, the father, did, he and his wife did everything they could to try and, um, you know, supplement and give her prosthetics that she would eventually grow out of. and, And it was extremely expensive. But he just happened to pick up this engineering student in his Uber one night and... Um, they got to talking, and the engineering student ended up being um, an engineer in the robotics field and ended up um, creating some uh, robotic hands for this girl. So pretty amazing how the connections that we can make, which seem random in our lives, um, can bring so much meaning and and uh, connection if we're open to it. So hopefully um, that puts a little positivity into your life today. And just remember that any stranger that you meet could change your life um, if you're open to it. So today's guest is um, a good friend of mine, a training partner at Z's Training Gym, 
uh, fellow brown belt. Um, Joe Miles, you got, a lot of our listeners will know who he is as Dr. Joe or Gentleman Joe Miles or the Sasquatch, many different names, uh, his fight names. Um, Joe has a PhD in electrical engineering from Wyoming, and uh, he and I have been friends for a number of years now, I think like four or five years, and have sort of developed um, our jiu-jitsu game and you know our, our combat athletics together. So it's an honor to have you on the, on the podcast today, Joe. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad mm-hmm. to be here. Um, I wanted to have Joe on because he has a very unique... Um, in my mind, a very unique way that he approaches a lot of activities that I see him engaged in, and we'll get into some of those uh, some of those questions that I have for him because I've never really explored that with him. Um, but first, I want to start off the podcast like I always do, and you know, I always ask my guests the, the same question first, which is, you know, the title of the podcast is "Conversations with the Mind," and the listeners know what that means to me, and. Um, I always ask, you know, what what comes up in your mind when when you hear that phrase, conversations with the mind, and how does it resonate with you? I just think it's, <clears throat> I feel like it's just kind of a way to, you know, discuss people's perception of things, you know. We're all kind of experiencing the same stuff, but we all see it in different ways, and so conversations about that, you know. Like, so sharing perspectives, yeah, sharing yeah, it's sort of like we have this collective agreement that this 3D reality is going to exist the way it is, right. but you experience it differently than I do, Yeah, and your internal world is completely different. Exactly. So being able to share, and that's exactly what this, what this podcast is about, is sharing like your inner mind with my inner mind so that we can add to this, um, this collective agreement, this yeah. collective mind, to try and shape it and change it for better. Nice. Um, so you're an engineer. Uh, how long have you been an engineer for? Uh, um, off and on. So <clears throat> I, I got an engineering degree in 2004 and <clears throat> I went to work in that field for a little bit out in Seattle. I didn't like it very much. And I, I did it for like a year and then I just blew it off and then I wasn't anything. I was a bartender and I, that's when I picked up fighting, and then I kind of picked it back up in uh, 2009. School and, or uh, fighting? Uh, school. Mm-hmm. So fighting, once I started, I started fighting in 2007, and once that happened, that was it. It was like, oh, okay, this is this is what I should have been doing for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But, um, but uh, when I came back, <clears throat> I came back to Wyoming from Seattle in the midst of the financial crisis in 2008 and in 2009 I got back into school to go get my PhD because I didn't have anything else to do it was bad financial times and I had spent the last couple of years screwing around so nobody was going to hire me for an engineering job and so so this is uh, at this time you had an undergrad in engineering I had I had a master's actually so after I got my uh my bachelor's in 2004, I went to grad school to get a master's, and before I finished that, I went out to Seattle and worked, and during that time, I finished up my master's, and so I technically got the master's in 2008, but uh, I wasn't really doing anything for it at Mm -hmm. that point. I was just kind of going through the hoops. My 
advisor would be like, hey, you know, you could do this. And I was like, all right, I'll do that. But you found yourself dissatisfied with it, for sure. At the time, for sure. Um, I think I was dissatisfied with the industry more than the practice, I Mm. should say. Um, What was wrong with the industry? uh, It's really... uh, Political or... uh, It's very CYA. What is it? um, If you work for a large corporation... um, You know, when I see engineering, what was really exciting for me was that it was... I was learning new things and you know, solving problems in ways that at least I hadn't ever thought of before. Mm-hmm. Whether or not anyone else in the world thought of them before wasn't so important to me, but it was like doing things, you know, creatively to a, to a certain degree. And when you go work for a large corporation, which is what I was doing, I was working for a big company, um, it's very, very little about actual work and a very, very large portion about making sure that you document your actual work. Mm. So you spend 90% of your time making sure that you check all the boxes mm-hmm. and 10% of your time actually doing anything useful. It seems like, you know, working at those corporate places, it was almost stifling to your creative energy. Yeah, yeah. It mm-hmm. was I, It was not what I, it was like a big slap in the face because I had... Put in all this work to get the yeah, degrees. You know, and, I, yeah, I thought when I was going through school, it was, you know, a big motivating thing to be like better and getting like, better grades and solving problems faster and, and understanding problems. And like my favorite thing to do would be like finish my homework before anybody else. So I could help people with theirs. So I mm. could like reinforce. It was like a weird thing. Like, <clears throat> and, uh, and then I got out into the world and like nobody gave a shit. Like mm. nobody at my job gave a shit and definitely nobody outside my job. Cause yeah. when you're working in, you know, I was doing fiber channel storage network stuff, which probably means nothing to anybody, but, <laughs> Like, that is dry. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, trying to be able to kind of talk to regular people about what I do was, like, impossible. And then, you know, I didn't really like the people I worked with because they were kind of a letdown. So I was like, oh, this is... And they were probably pretty dry, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, I mean, realistically, that's a pretty boring Mm -hmm. thing, like fiber channel part kind of might sound cool but when you get down to it it's uh, it's pretty dry and uh so so i had like a little quarter life crisis and Mm -hmm. so the payout wasn't there after all this work was put yeah well and some of it was i i did it i got i got into engineering as kind of a it was a it was a strange circumstance because I was always, you know, kind of a jock, and I was never, I wouldn't say a dumb guy, but I sure as shit wasn't, like, one of the, like, honor students in school, mm-hmm. um, but it was kind of because I didn't give a shit, I just wanted to play sports and dick around, and uh, <clears throat> so I kept doing that when I got to college, so I was, officially I was an exercise and sports science major, mm-hmm. but through some random chance all of my friends ended up being engineering students and because I didn't really give a shit about anything, I failed out. And the first year I got put on academic suspension because I didn't do my, mm-hmm. I didn't go to class and I didn't do my homework. And so all the engineers made fun of me and like started, you know, putting me down cause I was a dummy. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can, you failed out for PE. Mm-hmm. And so I got pissed. And so, <laughs> so then I kind of got an engineering degree as revenge 
but along the line of doing it because it was you know solving problems in creative ways and learning new things about the world I kind of fell in love with it and I got like really really down the rabbit hole with it and then and then I got out in the world and like that rabbit hole was fake it's mm. like, I mean it's real like the stuff Teeth, is real right? and it's like it's super interesting but you go out into a, a corporate job and it's like no it's I mean, only real within that niche yeah and like it's not even that like it's like it, it's only real when it's like fresh and new and then you go and you do you get into practice and it's not you're not doing that you're like you're filling out paperwork and mm-hmm. you're going to meetings and you're you're discussing things that don't matter you know you you discuss version numbers rather than like ways to solve problems mm-hmm. like you know you, you discuss how you're going to document things or like literally i don't know if you have ever heard of this but there's a big kind of contentious thing between tabs and spaces in computer science i heard a joke about that <clears throat> i was actually on that that show silicon valley yeah they had an episode yeah. where he was dating a girl who had the opposite yeah. opinion exactly and they broke up because of that and that's a real thing that's and that hilarious. was something, it's like religion yeah it, oddly enough that was one of the things that i had to implement in my first job was you know they were getting me involved and one of the things that they wanted me to do was to write a tool that would go in and it would change all the tabs that people put in their code into four spaces Mm -hmm. so i just wrote a text editing thing that would just go read the file and if there was a tab it would just delete it and change it to four spaces and you know that has literally zero impact on the you know the functionality of anything so both both options have the same so there's it's a it's a way they look thing like in different um, tools like you might open a file in a in a different thing and it'll look weird because it's got tabs and they're not spaced the same mm-hmm. if you have spaces it's always going to be the same so all it's the a time. formatting thing and it's literally just like to look pretty yeah. like there's no there's no technical reason mm-hmm. that you need to do that and, uh, but it, it's one of those things that because they don't have any like you know, nobody gets to do anything for real. They have to like inject, you know, their their opinions into mm-hmm. these, these stupid freaking arguments. Like the day that I finally quit, there was a, we we were having another one of our meetings about they were they were the company had been named one thing long before I got hired there, and the company that I worked for had bought the company a few years before that. But then, you know they had the old company's initials as part of like the naming convention for all hmm. of their files and stuff. And so they were arguing about whether or not they were going to put the new company's initials, but then, you know, like whether or not to put underscore keys in the, in the little abbreviations or like maybe capital or lowercase. And it seems like that's like a really mundane thing. And to me, to, to this day, it still is. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't give a shit. Right. Pick one. And I'll do that. But like I said, because there's like so much like stifled creativity in the room, these people are at each other's fucking throats over it. We were in that meeting for three hours. Over that? And it was stuff, like yeah. a guy was arguing that he didn't like to use his pinky that much because you have to reach so far to reach the underscore key. So to and you, the guy yeah. was like talking about his shift <laughs> key wearing out. 
And I like literally turned my chair around and looked out the window until the end of the meeting. I just sat there not participating and just looked out the window. And as soon as the meeting was over, I went into my boss's office. Like, I, I think I should quit. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I thought something was wrong when you turned your chair around. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you people can do this, but I, I don't think I fit here. This is not for me. Right, because you're sitting there thinking, like, you guys are wasting all this time when we could be solving problems that exactly, can get us to you know, other planets yeah, and, like, it's all like, sorts of cool we shit. We could be, you know, figuring out cool shit. Like, you know, when I when I did my, my graduate work for my master's, it was all in the fiber channel. It was in the same industry. And uh, they gave me this little simulator thing that they, they had, and it could, like, basically ping between a, a couple of ne- network points and... And they were like, eh, maybe you can do something with this. And like, I was like, yeah. And then like, I had free reign because I was the only guy. Mm-hmm. And I had like this little API that they had given me, but it was a little bit iffy. They like put a little time into it. And there's like a couple of things on the market that could kind of do some stuff. But what we wanted to do was be able to simulate this whole big, huge network. And all I had was this one little thing that I would plug into their box and then start telling it stuff. And I, all by myself, with like quite a bit of effort, I was able to kind of hack and mess with their API and change it a little bit and get what I wanted. I was able to build up this whole thing. I could make the maximum size allowable network. And it actually was able to like, um, you know, it was able to kind of solve some of their real world problems. Like if you get that big, then it starts taking too long for it to ask who is who. Mm-hmm. You know, there's these things called name servers that, you know, you have to, like, you want to send a message to this guy, you have to go find out where he lives. Mm-hmm. And there's a name server that'll do that for you. But when you get so many entries, like, the way that they had implemented it was too slow when it got big enough. And, like, so that's the kind of thing that I was looking for, you know. I was like, I didn't think I was going to be doing, like, a whole big thing like that by myself, but that was what I had been able to do. And now I'm sitting here like in these meetings with guys bickering about stuff that doesn't matter. And then the one thing that I accomplished at the job was we had, uh, we were changing from one version of a certain protocol to another version of a certain protocol. But all that really meant was that we were adding support for eight more bits of data in one little string. And so I put those eight bits of data in there, but that process took three months. Mm -hmm. Not because it took me three months to write the code to do that. It took me like five minutes, but then it took like three months to go through the back and forth. The channels. Whether or not it was going to be tape. approved. And like, yeah. And so I freaked out. and like, <clears throat> I actually don't even know where I'm going with this Well, for, <laughs> for people who don't out there who don't know what you do, um, as far as I know, you know, you work in, in the robotics field, which is sort kind of, of yeah. sort of related to our good news story, you know, with yeah. this girl getting a robotic hand, which is cool. But you were – you. As far as I know, and you explain it further, but you write programming um, for robotics. Kind right? of. Okay. Yeah. So what I, so what I do now is like, um, I got into a whole different industry now. I work in a, a, a thing. It's called flow cytometry. So it's a it's an industry that's based on um, counting counting and sorting cells. So you can take cells from virtually any kind of living thing prepare them in a certain way so that they can be sucked through a tube into some <clears throat> salt water and some... And this all happens in a chemistry lab, right? So it all happens in a, in a machine, mm-hmm. but... Um, and then it can be spit through some lasers and then 
the light that bounces off it can be detected and then based on what how much light and what mm-hmm. color of light and all this stuff you can tell a lot of stuff about the cells and so within that machine there's a lot of like moving parts there's robots that go and move this little thing around and put it into a sample and suck it out and there's other robots that can actually put like samples into the machine and take them out and uh, so i write software that kind of talks to all that and controls it and takes the data out of it and analyzes it um and just it it provides an interface for users to kind of access Mm -hmm. these and what are the what are the implications for for like counting cell in a tissue uh there's a lot of things i mean uh, you could I mean, an easy one would be to like count T cells. Like, oh, that's, sure, sure. Like, I mean, there's like a, from a blood draw or something. Yeah, yeah. You, there's unknown amounts of things that people can do with them. They, can you count like um, not even from like microorganisms and things like that yeah. in in uh, water samples or yeah. something? That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah, you so can, you can do, take samples from like Mars and bring it back and def- analyze they it. They definitely do. That so, is awesome. Um, there's a lot of different ways that they do that, but this is one of the ways. Um, it, this is generally used for living tissue, so it wouldn't necessarily be something from Mars unless sure. they've found some kind of, which... Frozen in something. Yeah, yeah. they might find something. Microorganism. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, any kind of living cell you can do. And technically you could do it with other things too, but it's kind of, like it's a pharmaceutical type mm-hmm. thing. And uh, um, like... One of the things that comes up, and I don't know what they're doing with it, but they do, they do these experiments with, quote, disassociated fly parts, which basically means ground-up flies. Mm-hmm. Don't know what they're doing with it, but that's one of the common things that people do that gets the machines clogged. Hmm. <laughs> so so uh, we have to f- find ways to deal with that. But. Okay. So part of your, I mean, part of your job is, and what I, you know, I see it at your home, your setup is like multiple computer screens yeah. and things like that. So when you're working, you know, you're not only working in your 3D physical space, but in your mind, you're almost like creating a whole new landscape inside this computer system. Um, and I've heard, I've heard other versions of this type of creation from like some Buddhist monks who, who are literally taking their mind to other dimensions and creating whole new worlds that they can visit and, and, you know, nurture. And, and you're doing that through these computer systems. So what is your, uh, from an engineer's perspective, like what is your take on human consciousness, you know, as a, you know, as a, as a system, as a, you know, system of interact, interaction, sort of like the, ele- the electrons in, in um, you know, computer software programs and robotics and all that stuff. Uh, you know, that's a tough question. Um, the way I see it is that, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to kind of mimic what, what our consciousness is, you know, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you the mechanisms by which, you know, I'm coming up with, with quote, free thoughts Mm -hmm. on the fly or, or discussing things with you, but I could come up with all kinds of weird mechanisms that may or may not be related to that that could accomplish, you know, fake versions of it, you know, like I could. Mm -hmm. So, and that is, that is kind of like the whole goal of, of computer science is you're sitting there trying to come up with these like algorithms under the hood that, 
that will spit back an output or that you're, you know, you're trying to, you're seeking. Like mm-hmm. you don't, you may know what it is or maybe you don't, but you're trying to get it to do something that, um, that kind of mimics a thought. And, yeah, I see that too. Uh, when I hear about like quantum computers and building those, um, they talk about it as if it's like they're building a, a brain with many different neural connections that can um, yeah. spit out infinite possibilities from one question. Yeah. Um, and it it makes sense that we try and replicate what we're experiencing in our consciousness in this physical realm, yeah. right? And we try and mimic that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so what is your take on simulation theory, something like that, where it's uh, almost a fractal thing where we're trying to build these simulations to mimic our consciousness on a on a smaller macro level, but if you roll it back and go to to a different level in the opposite direction, that something else is creating this simulation for us? Well, I, I don't have much of a take on it. Um, I, I can't discount that that could be a thing. It makes, it, it makes sense. You could extrapolate it back. Um, it, I don't lose a lot of sleep over that kind of stuff, to be honest. Um, because I, I don't have any control over it. Like, sure. Um, either, either I'm just here a random thing on a rock in the middle of some <laughs> space thing or something put me here. But in either case, right, you have here. Yeah, exactly. That's all I've got. Um, I, I could see where you could easily extrapolate, extrapolate it back to something like that, but I tend to try and avoid those thought processes because they don't, in my estimation, they don't lead me anywhere. Mm. It's like I could focus on what's in front of me and I can accomplish something, but if I get mired down in something where it's a hypothetical that is literally impossible for me to prove or disprove, I, I can't. Mm-hmm. So you don't see it as, I mean, for you, it's not a, a valid way to use your mental energy to, yeah, to contemplate that stuff. Yeah, it's not something yeah. that I feel is important for me yeah. to delve into. And, you know, to each their own. Everybody, yeah. I mean, I we, know a lot of people like yeah. to get into that stuff. And we but, need people to think about that kind of yeah. stuff, too. But I really admire your mindset, too, how you're really focused on the present moment. You know, that's a lot of what I teach is like mindfulness and being present, you know, and how that enhances your experience as a human being, your appreciation of beauty, your productivity, your accuracy, all these things. And that's one of the main reasons why I embrace jujitsu the way I I do, because it pulls me into that space. Mm -hmm. It pulls me into mindfulness and present moment awareness, even when I don't want to be there. Um, It forces me in there. Uh, Otherwise, I'm I'm risking getting choked out. Right. so I love that. Um, so I want to I want to get into this a little bit too because um, a big part of who I see you as a person is is wrapped up in your identity as uh, an MMA or jujitsu athlete as well. Mm-hmm. Um, would you agree that that's how y- you see yourself as as part I, of your identity? I think so. I yeah. think honestly, more than than any, more than the an engineering engineer, stuff yeah. like. Uh, once I once I found MMA, it was it was a huge shock that that this was a thing and that I hadn't done it before. Mm. It's like how have I missed this? My right, because you life. grew up as an athlete, right? Yeah, and I I so I had a little bit of a I kind of had an inkling that this was what I was going for, but um, I grew up in the middle of Wyoming, and there really wasn't there definitely wasn't MMA. That wasn't a thing. And, uh, 
Didn't they have like tough man competitions and stuff they, back then in they, bars and? They did. Um, and another thing, when I was young, my uh, I had cataract surgery in both my eyes when I was when I was eleven years old. <clears throat> and so ever since then, it was this paranoia that my my family had about my eyes, like. My dad was really worried, and he was almost trying to... I feel like, after the fact, retrospectively, I feel like he was trying to find ways to uh, avoid me playing football. Like, mm. Because when I was a really little kid, I really wanted... I thought that was the thing you know, to do. I wanted to play football. And, like, and then that happened, and then um, that was literally... So the first year I could play football was when I started having the cataracts. And so... That whole season, I basically played blind, and uh, and then the next in between that and the next season, I had the surgeries, and so my dad was super paranoid that you know I was gonna go get hit in the head and go blind. Do you think he was worried for your safety? Because I hear a lot of parents too, like I don't want you to play sports because we just spent thousands of dollars on your teeth. I think it was a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Like I think he was really frustrated with having to have spent so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't mean to put that that's not exactly the right way to say that. True. I'm sure uh, if I was in that position I'd feel a um, little... I think he was definitely happy that he was able to. And he, uh, my parents did a really good job. They shopped around with some different doctors because they wanted one that they thought that they could trust and um and i think they got a good one so you know retrospect I, mm-hmm. I don't know i was too young to know what the hell was going on the whole time but um but i think he was also really concerned that i would go blind like, mm-hmm. um and fast forward i've paid a pretty heavy price for my own choices on that front he wasn't necessarily wrong mm-hmm. but uh so from the head impacts you've taken through football and MMA from and things like that? you've Mostly from fighting. Like football, because the helmet was on, I took a lot of head impacts and that definitely had some brain you know, implications, but my eyes have taken a, a literal beating mm-hmm. as a fighter. And, uh, you know, some of that has been a little extreme. Like I, <clears throat> after I finished my PhD, I didn't know what I was going to do because I was still on the fence about the engineering thing. And so I tried to join the National Guard to just kind of eke out a little bit more time where I had an income that I didn't have to do anything, you know, because I'd go to basic training and they'd, you know, I'd be in basic training and they'd be paying me mm-hmm. and, and feeding you and yeah. housing you. And, and so I was like, I'll just do that. I'll play Army for a little while. And then. And then I was I was going to go to officer training. So then after that, I was going to go to officer school for a couple of years. And so that was going to basically, I was just going to kind of ride that mm-hmm. and not have to. But because I'd been a fighter, my eyes had been all banged up. And so I had a waiver for my cataract implants. But in my left eye, I had what's called a prolapse vitreous, which means that the fluid that's it's called a you know vitreous humor, the fluid in your eye. It was leaking between the membrane where the lens is supposed to live, and yeah. I have been able to see that, and I like I know exactly the moment that it started happening back when I first started fighting, mm-hmm. and it's there's been several like definite days where people have hit me in certain ways, and it's definitely gotten mm-hmm. worse, and like one eye or the other, and like um, so you're constantly adjusting based on the day and based on how your vision's affected 
Kind of, yeah. Like, I mean, they, they generally are the same day-to-day. Mm-hmm. But then there are pretty drastic moments throughout the time where something happens and then it's a little bit scary for mm-hmm. a minute. And, and like I said, so, so I had that and I've had it in my left eye for years. And then, so when I got to, to basic training to get, you know, through the beginning part of being in the National Guard, I was going through the in-processing and the eye doctor looked in my eyes and he just, it was weird. Hmm. Like they freaked out. And I could tell because I can see little black spots mm-hmm. in my eye. And he was putting his little prism with the with a light behind it, lining it up exactly where I see that little spot in my eye. And and they, then he brought in another eye doctor and they did the same thing, lined it up right there. And then they brought in mm-hmm. another one. And so <clears throat> they were they were kind of panicking. Like, well, we can't have him doing MMA with that. And I thought to myself, that's pretty funny because I've been doing it for, mm-hmm. you know, at that point I've been doing it for like six years or something. And now, is this an army doctor It was checking an you army out? eye doctor, yeah. And you were you trying to do MMA in the army too? Is that why they well, were checking you Well, that's part of it. That's oh, okay. part of basic training in the army is you do. Oh, right, you the do combatives. Like the combatives, yeah. which are. So they were even worried about you doing the, like the simple combative yeah, shit yeah, that they do. The, okay. So, <clears throat> and funny. so that, you know, after that, I was kind of in limbo for a few days and then they put me into this, it's called a retrain and hold unit, but it's essentially like a, a low grade, low security army jail. Hmm. Like I was just, and it was with, it's all the people that are, they're getting kicked out for one reason. Like the washouts. Yeah. yeah. And some of them are medical and some of them are just quitters and it's a pretty degenerate group of guys. But, um, but yeah, so I had to go you know, hang out with those guys. So the eye thing is real. It's mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, a, that's an injury I don't hear many MMA fighters talk about, even at the highest levels, so, are, are eye injuries. And it makes so much sense because they're so exposed. Yeah. Um, and when you, like, so when it's happening to you and you, you start looking into it, it's not an uncommon thing for, you know, for fighters to get either the prolapse vitreous thing or, like, bits of their... Uh, iris will break off into the eye right like the flex yeah and so you get these little little spots in your eye and they're mm-hmm. generally not a big deal mm-hmm. uh but the compounding factor of having the lens implants you know from being a cataract patient that's too much for the it's almost like putting scar tissue over an injury that hasn't healed yet yeah maybe something i mean yeah. it's it's like it's not good but it's not bad like it's obviously you know it's not right. good, but. yeah and and that's something that um you know that that we all you know if we engage in these activities you know we love these things like jiu-jitsu and mma so much that we understand that it's part of the yeah. sport like if you're in it long enough you are going to experience yeah. some kind of catastrophic major injury that's going to require some kind of surgery yeah. um but you get to a point where you love it so much that you know a surgery is not going to stop you yeah, and because because you follow that passion. So that's a another good question that I I wanted to ask you was, um, and something that I see in you that I feel like you're a stand apart from a lot of the people that train with us, uh, and a lot of the people that I've trained with in general in my life because I've trained in many many gyms um, and seen lots and lots of fighters and trained with pro fighters, but um, your mindset 
Um, and what I observe on the mats is fascinating to me, and I hope we can get into that a little bit. So how do you engage with your own mind, your internal dialogue and your internal consciousness? How do you engage with that on the mats um, to be able to push through injury, pain, doubt, and exhaustion, things like that, that, that get other people to quit? Because, I mean, I see you in the gym five, six days a week, literally almost every day. Like you're just only a couple of years older than me, and mm-hmm. I can't even get in there every day because I'm so beat up and broken. Um, and I know you are too, right. but you're still in there. You're still grinding. You're still doing it. How do you, and you, you never show it on your face either. So how do you engage with your mind to be able to do something like that? I, you know, um, I don't know because I think one thing that I, I consciously made a decision about a long time ago when I was, when I was starting to do MMA and like it, it was really easy to take a day off. Mm -hmm. It was really easy to think, oh, I'm sore today. And there was a couple of times early on where, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, the draw to go relax and let my body heal stretched for days on end. Mm Or, you know, and so when I came back to, um, to Wyoming and I found, cause I thought when I came back, I thought I was going to, uh, just do something else. Like I didn't know if I was going to go back to school. I didn't know, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I couldn't afford to be out in Seattle anymore. And I didn't have any kind of work lined up I just like well I guess I'll just go back to Wyoming and figure something out because I could go you know live with my family and figure some shit out and like there was an MMA gym in the town that I went back to and it blew my mind that that was there like Mm. I was like there's no way like Mm -hmm. and so literally the day after I got there they were supposed to be open at six in the morning. So I got up at six in the morning and went over there and I didn't have a job, but, um, the guy was open and he was like, yeah, if you want to sign up, we can give you like a, a day trial or something. I was like, nope. And I just put it on my credit card. Like I put three months on my credit card and just no job, no job. Just, I was like, so then I I I was like, from this moment on, I have to figure out a way to pay for this, but I'm going to be an MMA fighter. And it was like ridiculous because I didn't have any prospects or anything. It's not like I was like going to go be in the UFC or anything. It was just like, for whatever reason, this is the thing that I like to do. Mm. And, and so once I did that, my life since then with a, a, a few caveats has been based on, can I work around my MMA schedule and Mm -hmm. still pay my bills. And I've found various ways to do that. And uh, I was fortunate enough to fall into this thing down here where um, I'm doing this uh, flow cytometry thing and being able to train at Z's, which are kind of both the best things that I've ever had. Like Mm -hmm. I absolutely love my job and I absolutely love Z's. And so I can still be that, everyday guy and sometimes I have to take things a little bit lighter or sometimes I have to kind of 
you know, avoid certain things. And some days I just have to take off. Like, it doesn't, I'm not immune, but, uh, but like I said, I, I purposely put it in the front of my mind that MMA happens and then life happens. Mm. <clears throat> and I'm definitely like less stringent about that than I used to be when I was in college. It was pretty bad. I mean, if you knew me outside of the MMA gym, I was an asshole. Hmm. because you were in the way of me going to the MMA gym. It's almost like an addiction. It was bad, yeah. Like, um, Would other areas of your life start to suffer because of it? A little bit. I mean, I definitely didn't get the kind of grades that I was capable of. Mm -hmm. And I definitely had some incidents where I may or may not have been uh, easily kicked out of school for Mm -hmm. being a jerk. Um, But... Fortunately, those weren't too bad. But so for you in your mind, you—I li- mean, you fl- just flipped a switch and said, "MMA is what I'm going to do. This is what it takes. Everything else is secondary to it, and I'm going to—I'm going to, you know, morph it around MMA because this is who I am, and this is what I want to do, and this is who I want to be. Yeah, and that's how it's been. Yeah, it's awesome. So I've faltered yeah. along the way a few times, but that's really how I've been able to do the like you know like. I'm going to go to the gym and then, you know, I'll get my work done around that. Mm-hmm. But So what about, you know, on mm-hmm. those days when, when I know you were injured, you know, because you and I will talk on the mats before mm-hmm. and you'll be like, yeah, you know, this is hurting or this is hurting. But you're still out there doing live MMA rounds with the rest of the gym. Um, sort of what what's the inner dialogue there? What What gets you through when I see you out there in between rounds limping? Mm-hmm. You know, but then you you continue to go and go and go when other people yeah. would sit on the side. I think, um, I, I don't know. There's been a lot of my life that's been focused on the kind of, uh, the battle between injury and pain. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're, when you're going through school, going, being a football player or playing any kind of sport, your coaches are constantly harping on you about the difference between injury and pain and, uh, I think to a certain degree that has some validity and to a certain degree it gets a little bit overblown and people are probably meant like it's kind of like a form of bullying Hmm. but um, it's burned into me like uh, you know am I hurt or am I injured Mm -hmm. and if I'm just hurt suck it up you know rub some dirt on it and go back out there Mm -hmm. like See, that's the mentality that I'm talking about yeah like it's, it's that's what you tell yourself in your head yeah and it's been from you know my whole life. I was the, I was the little brother. I had two older brothers, mm-hmm. and um, is that what they would tell you? And, Suck it well, up. Well, yeah, like so you know, and we we had a farm, and like we were always working out in the shitty conditions and doing shitty things, and you know, and it always felt like I was being a pussy because my older brothers could handle it, and like mm. why couldn't I? And, and so like. And my dad could handle it, and and he, you know, throw it in your face when you were being a pussy, because you know he wanted to get shit done, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's kind of stuck, you know. It's like through my whole life, like there's always been, and and you know when you're on the football team, and the coach starts talking about the guy who's sitting on the side with tendonitis, you know, and he's making it out mm-hmm. to be a fake thing. And you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy, you know, like. And whether or not the kid had any kind of tendonitis doesn't matter anymore. 
you know, it's like, well, I don't want to be the fucking pussy sitting on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And, and that's been like every athletic endeavor I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of just the regular life I've had, you know, like just working on the farm and like, it's either too cold or you hit yourself with the shovel because you're an idiot or Mm -hmm. something. And, you know, you just keep working because you don't want dad to think you're a pussy or you don't want your brothers to pick on you for being weak. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of grows and. So I, th- I think I keep that in mind now where I know that and I know what I'm doing, but I also, it's, you know, it's, well, are you injured or are you hurt? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so. Yeah, I, I, for me, it's like, um, there's two things that came up for me when you were telling that, you know, for me, a lot of my motivation um, in my athletic development coming up as a kid and even today is this internal di- dialogue that keeps saying, you're not going to outwork me. You know, I'm always mm-hmm. going to put in more effort than you, yeah. and therefore I'm going to come out on top, right? So even if I'm tired, I, I tell myself, you know, I, I can still outwork you. I can still mm-hmm. outwork you, you know? And it's benefited me. <clears throat> but, you know, also, you know, in, in the sports like jiu-jitsu and MMA, you know, your ego is constantly smashed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's always someone better out there that's going to, you know take your lunch and and it's going to leave you with this negative internal dialogue saying things like oh you're such a pussy why couldn't you do that you know um do you feel like that has gotten in the way for you sometimes or ever held you back or is it purely uh used as a as a like a positive driving force for you i think it's gone both ways i've had periods in my career where i just felt like worthless because of you know the your ego gets smashed constantly Mm -hmm. and sometimes you can go long stretches where it doesn't and sometimes you can go long stretches where you nothing works yeah it's like why am i even doing this because Mm -hmm. um you know but the one thing that keeps me going is that even though like on the worst days like the worst of the worst where i go in and like everybody taps me out like i know i know when i leave there Virtually everyone else in the world couldn't do that. Exactly. So putting it into a larger perspective is helpful too. I've been able to kind of separate that, and like sometimes when I go in and I just get annihilated and I'm just like embarrassed, and uh, I go home and I'm like, well, you know, none of the other engineers can do that, Mm -hmm. you know. And sometimes I like to keep that in mind too, is that like I'm fortunate I have like. You know, sometimes when I am getting annihilated, it's like, well, at least I can do more math than this guy. You know? <laughs> That's a little bit less of a driver, but sure. it's still there in the back of my mind. It's like, you know, I can do some stuff. I'm not like a piece of garbage. Mm-hmm. But but I also I appreciate it. I think it's a great thing to have at the same time is that kind of humbling. Absolutely. Something every day that, that puts you in your place. Yeah. It keeps me grounded in it, you mm-hmm. know, like... I think a lot of the, um, a lot of people have a perception of, of what we'll be like because we do that. And you I mean like injuries later in life, or what I do think you mean a perception or like aggressive? Yeah, aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I don't really feel like I have that. And I think a lot of it is because I've, I've been kind of shown, you know, you're not invincible. Mm-hmm. Like you can break just as easy as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like you might know how to break somebody easier than someone else, but 
Same yeah. shit that hurts them hurts you. Yep. So you understand more you about know, your your own mortality. Keep it in check, buddy. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> but yeah. So another aspect of your game that I really enjoy watching, and I think everybody in our gym, um, probably some spectators enjoy watching, is uh, you have a tendency to not only talk to your opponent while you're mm-hmm. in a, engaged in a fight with them, but I've also seen you in grappling tournaments um, talking to the coach on the yeah. side of the mat so, uh, for the opponent, and I love that because uh, I'm all about um, you know mental enhancements for for performance and one of the major things that i think is overlooked is um playing that mind game with an opponent in in a sport like this like being able to to take them off their mental game um to affect their their physical game so i feel like i i started doing that and it's odd that you bring that up but um a long time ago when we first met you were kind of doing that uh the mental training at Z's and mm-hmm. um, we would we would take these little periods we'd walk around the block and discuss mental strength things and um, something we kind of talked about and <clears throat> something that I've I kind of figured out from those discussions was that uh, to a certain degree I'm a little bit uh I don't know how to... I'm like an angry person, like a, a under-the-hood kind of angry. Mm-hmm. And uh, We did mention that, that that feeling of being pissed off helps so drive a lot of things in your life. It, and it does, and it, and it also it leads to a couple of bad things, especially in training, but also in, in competition. Um, you don't want to be angry when you're competing, and you don't want to be... You definitely don't want to be angry when you train. Mm-hmm. And, you don't want to <clears> be emotional at all, pretty much. Yeah, and so something that I figured out from from those discussions was that you know what if I just start joking around, uh, I can generally keep myself doing what I need to do, and at the same time I'm keeping myself from getting angry. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone actually does something good and puts me on my ass or like gets on top of me in a way that I don't like, and I make a joke about it, it can kind of take me out of that panic, mm-hmm. you know, space where I'm like, oh my god. Danger, He's on danger, top danger. Of me and I don't like this, and I don't freak out. And um, I really have used that a lot in the grappling tournaments and, and in in training. And uh, it, I do it in training because I want people to have a good time, mm-hmm. but I also don't want me to get aggressive and like be mean to my partners. Sure. But I do it in the grappling tournaments because it makes me feel relaxed because those are so stressful. Like everybody goes in and they're like so hard mm-hmm. you know they're yeah. stiff and solid and it's like if I can get them to like relax a smidge by laughing at some stupid little snickery comment I make you know maybe it'll be better and if not I'm having fun because mm-hmm. I'm saying stupid shit and maybe I win a medal maybe I don't but I had fun yeah. because I, I've always been an MMA fighter before a jujitsu guy I love jujitsu, but I don't the competitions are they're they're okay, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they don't push it, or they don't they don't feed they don't that need the for same, you. They don't have the same, you know, mechanism to me as as an MMA fight does. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that I could explain that, but it's just been that way my whole life, or well, since I've been doing it. And, mm-hmm. But uh, I definitely don't like to go in there and be super aggressive and mm-hmm. serious about it. 
So is any of your intention in, in the talking to, yeah, sorry, are you cold, no, cold in here? Um, is any of your intention in doing that with, you know, with competitors or with their coaches to throw them off their, their own game? Definitely a little bit. Okay. Um, I don't know that I think it is that effective, but I think what it, what it does accomplish sometimes is that they start having a good time and it becomes more of a, a friendly role. Mm -hmm. Like we're both still trying to win and we're both being technical, but we're not, we're not both like not trying to kill each other. Yeah. Like, it's probably it's less not, incidents of injury too. Uh, for me, I guess, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't get injured in those that much, but, um, but I, and at the end, I think, I think everybody enjoys it for the most part. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, somebody definitely takes it personal. And it's not that I'm saying things that are like your mama's fat or anything, but like, you know, they just, they don't, I think they don't appreciate me not taking the sport serious. Mm -hmm. But overall, most people are pretty cool with it. Yeah. They have a good time and they laugh. And Yeah, you're, uh, the way you do that um, sort of turned me on to the, you know, I started thinking mm -hmm. about it and then looking up some stuff online as far as like the psychological literature around this. And I found this interesting um, book. I forget the, the guy's name, but you, anybody out there can Google it. It's called the, um, he came up with this idea of the OODA loop. The, it's O-O-D-A. And he was a fighter pilot in World War II, um, like dogfights. Mm -hmm. And um, what he figured out was that he could always get the upper hand on his opponents, not if he was technically better or, or faster or had a better plane, but if he could disrupt their attack pattern, then he would always have an upper hand. So no matter what the other pilot was thinking, if he could do something to just throw them off their own game for a second, then he could capitalize on it. And he took this idea and published a book on it, and it's been applied to business practices, it's been applied to athletics, um, but I find that it's it's super relevant for our sports, um, MMA or jiu-jitsu, and you know, we just watched crazy MMA fights last night mm -hmm. um, where, you know, these opponents are, are, they're so technically sound and, you know, their athletic abilities are so evenly matched and their physical strength is so evenly matched that it becomes a mind game mm -hmm. and being able to either disrupt theirs or, or figure out what they're going to do before they do it. Um, so the, the, that's why I found this fascinating that you do this, you know, with, with verbalizing it and talking uh, on the mat is that you are disrupting other people you know you do this other thing that i that i notice uh you're the only person i've ever trained with that do does this but before you start a jujitsu match you do what's called a tap and slap so you oh, tap okay. hands and you bump fists sort of like an acknowledgement that hey you know we're both entering into this and let's take care of each other um but for joe uh, what he does is we we slap hands bump fists and then he always flips me off just real quick like super yeah. fast like it's almost like a like a you know, like it gets me to, it throws me off my game. And what I notice is like, even if I'm focused going in just that split second, it's sort of like in that, in the movie fight club where he inserts that one yeah, screenshot, in, in the, the clip in, the, yeah, the clip. And you just like double take it. You, and you're you like, saw what? It. <laughs> you don't know you saw it, but you saw it. Exactly. And so that's kind of what, what happens when you do that to me is like, no matter how focused I am on what I'm going to do, it just disrupts it for a split second. And then, and then I'm blank, you know, and then you have the upper hand. Yeah. That, that uh, there's no strategy to that. That's just something that, uh, honestly, there was an episode of South Park like 20 years ago where a kid flips everybody off 
and I just thought it was so funny that I've been doing it ever since then. And like a lot, like of, a lot of my like my friends know that that's me waving at them, mm-hmm. and I try not to do it in public or like I wouldn't do it at a grappling tournament. But it's just something that I do, and it kind of keeps it to, it's personal. We're just like buddies, and we're fucking around. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that that's not intended to be a mind game of any kind. It's just kind of that's actually kind of uh, an invitation to be my friend when I do that. Like mm. when you're in the gym and you come in, you tap and slap, and I flip you off. That's a subtle cue that, yeah, you're cool, you're mm-hmm. fine. Like, we're good together, you know. And I, you know enough about me to know that I'm not being a dick. Sure. You know, because if I just did that to everybody that came in the door, they'd be like, what the fuck? That guy just flipped me off. Mm-hmm. So you don't do that in tournaments? Then. I don't. I try not to. I think I might have mm-hmm. once in a while, but um, I generally try and keep it on the on the down low with that because that's like, you know, that's a universal symbol of yeah, right. of insult. and Sure. Um, even though I think it's funny because I saw a South Park 20 years ago. Most people didn't see that. And yeah, it's reserved for They don't for know that I've been doing it for 20 years. Mm-hmm. They did, you know, that's that guy just flipped me off. Mm-hmm. So, But you can see how that could be a mind game, right? I totally, totally could see how that could, could be. Could flip someone into anger, right? Yeah, Which is yeah. what, you, what they don't want. Right. Well, it's what they don't want. But I actually, I don't want that either. Like, yeah, right. I might want somebody to be angry in an MMA fight, but I don't think so. But I definitely don't want somebody to be angry on the jujitsu, you know. Yeah. Because that's just, that's too intense. I don't, yeah. shit. I'm, I'm old. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, Joe, I want to thank you for being here today. Um, it was an awesome conversation. I think we went a lot of good places that I think the audience is going to really appreciate. And for those people out there who do know you, it's, you know, I'm sure they're going to really enjoy um, getting to know this side of you too. Mm-hmm. Um so I want to remind our audience to please like and share all of our podcasts. Again, that's how we get these messages uh, out there. Um, our goal is to send you know this ripple effect through all of you um, so that we can all use some of this information to better our experience as human beings on the planet at this time. So take what you can and use it and leave what you can't. Um, it's up to you how you use this knowledge, but it is the use of knowledge that, that helps us grow. Knowledge without mileage is bullshit, as as Henry Rollins likes to say. So use this knowledge, apply it in your life, and um, try and cultivate some sort of optimal mindset above and beyond what you're currently functioning at. Um, again, I want to let everyone know that we're sponsored by my private practice consulting and counseling company, MindOps. You can find us at mindops.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. If you have any questions for myself or my guest today, please leave us um, questions on the website and we'll get back to you uh, as soon as we can. Again, thank you for listening. Uh, Many more podcasts to come. Thank you, Joe, for being here. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I hope to have you back in the near future. Yeah, sure thing. And we'll see you on the mats tomorrow. All right.